Well, if you have your Bibles, and I know that you do, for the first Sunday of 2015, let's turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to get a word from the Lord this morning. And after this message, Christy will come and close us out. If I leave time, I believe the worship team may have another song. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to leave you guys some time. But for the first Sunday of 2015, let's go to the first book of the Bible, and that's Genesis. The word means beginnings. Genesis chapter 5. Now, if we took the time this morning to read through Genesis chapter 5, we would notice a pattern. Under the heading of chapter 5, it is called the family of Adam or the Adam's family. There is a pattern in chapter 5. And you'll see this over and over again that someone lived they had children, and then they died. A person lived, and many times they lived for hundreds of years. This is not long after the Garden of Eden. This is before even the earth is changed after the flood as far as its makeup biologically and all of that stuff. Man is living long in the early chapters of Genesis. But there's this pattern over and over and over again that so-and-so lived, had children, and then he died. So-and-so lived, had children, and then he died. Now, as we look at that, what's sad to me is that that is the testimony of many people today. They're going to live, have some children, maybe make some money, build a house, and die. They're going to live, and they're going to die. People are going to live, and they're going to die, and it's going to happen, and it does happen by millions upon millions of people who just live and die, and there seems to be nothing of significance in their lives. But Genesis 5 gives us hope that there is more to life than just living and dying. There's that dash in between that really tells everything from your birth date to your death date the dash. What happened on the dash? There has to be more than having kids in a house and making money. There has to be more. And Enoch shows us in Genesis chapter 5 that there is more to life than just living and dying, than simply existing. Because we were created to have a relationship with God. God formed us so that we could know him and walk with him, and enjoy him. And so what we see in Enoch is Enoch experiencing what life is really all about. And this pattern of living and dying gets broken by Enoch. So look at chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch... Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. This morning coming in, my son 
asked me how old I was. I could not remember for the life of me how old I was or how old I am. Because when you get past 40, you just can't count them up right. Like, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I had to go back and do the math from when I was born to today. Had to do addition and subtraction to figure out that I am 46 years old and this year I will turn 47. So I can't imagine how those dudes and dudettes kept record of how old they were going up into the hundreds, man. Can you imagine? Their, their minds were sharp, a whole lot sharper again, you know, just coming out of the fall of Adam, man. How do you count all of those years? Wow. And then the Bible says in verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Verse 23, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Well, I see two things here, two observations and we'll start with how the verse ends in verse 24, and that is, God took him. So when you're reading this in Genesis, it breaks the pattern of men living and dying. Enoch is the first person who lived and went to heaven with God without dying. So that's good Bible trivia. Who was the first person to live and go to heaven without dying, it was Enoch. The only other person this happened to was Elijah, the prophet, when he went to heaven in chariots of fire. And Elisha, his protege, saw him take off. And thanks be to God, Elisha got a double portion of the spirit that was on Elijah. But man, no one has ever gone to heaven like that besides Enoch and Elijah. Everyone else has gone into heaven through the gateway of death into life. And so Enoch here, he was walking with the Lord and he was not, which means he disappeared. Oh, boy, he disappeared. Pastor, how can that happen? Well, this is God, and he makes the rules and calls the shots. And if he wants to take someone home, he can take them home alive right then, and they can disappear and, like Enoch, become a was not. So now, this is a picture for the dispensationalists in this room who believe that there is such a thing called the rapture. I am one that believes in the rapture. We teach the rapture of the church in Strong Tower Bible Church, and that is at any time the Lord can snatch his church, the body of Christ, universal, all over the world. We can disappear in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We will disappear. We'll be snatched out of this place. And the world will enter into a period, a time of great tribulation. I believe that. And one of the reasons I believe a phenomenon like that can happen is that I read Genesis chapter 5, and I also know about what happened to Elijah, and God can do anything that he wants to glorify his name, even if it doesn't make theological sense to us. So this man was not. And also, he's a picture of the rapture. Because in chapter 6, God is going to call Noah. Noah is going to build an ark. And 
judgment is going to fall on the earth by way of the water, by the rain coming on the earth, and all of mankind will be destroyed. And so it's a time or a picture of tribulation. And before tribulation fell, Enoch is a picture of the church exiting the world. You see, because Jesus saved us from wrath, we don't have to go through wrath on earth. He saved us from wrath through the cross. And so he's taking us out when he pours out his wrath, the wrath of the lamb, Revelation calls it, on the earth. Now, I don't know when that time will be, but it can happen at any time when the Lord takes the church out of here. Enoch was taken. So that's the first thing I see. But the second thing and the main thing that I want us to look at today is that Enoch walked with God. You know, people sign up at gyms like never before. Because, man, it's a new year and a new opportunity. Let's get in shape. Ate too much over the holidays and all this kind of stuff. And you see all these advertisements for treadmills. And, you know, they want you to start walking and getting in shape. And we should do that. We should be doing that. It should be a part of our worship to God, taking care of our temples. But, you know, walking on a treadmill, that's good and necessary. But walking with the Lord is something completely different. Paul said that bodily exercise does profit a little, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So as we train our bodies, let's also train our souls and let's walk with God. And two times in Genesis chapter 5, it says Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God, whereas other people lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. But one person decided, I'm going to walk with God. Now, the Lord walked with Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, it says the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And that implies that he and Adam walked together, that he would come into the garden and spend time with his creation, with the one who was made in his image a little lower than the angels. Why? Because God loves people. He loves fellowship. Doesn't need people, but he loves fellowshipping with the people he created. So he would walk with Adam. And walking with God is a picture of having fellowship with him intimacy with him, having a relationship with him, where you're walking with him, just like when Jesus walked with the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and they walked and they talked about the things of God. They talked about the scripture, and their hearts were burning within themselves. There's nothing like walking with God, whether you're walking up to a mountaintop, or you're descending into a valley low, or you're going by some green pastures, or you're going by some still waters, or you're going through a busy intersection, or you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There's nothing like walking with the one who will never leave you and won't forsake you. There's nothing like walking with the one who sometimes will carry you as you're walking with him. And as the poem says, you look back and you only see one set of footprints. And those were the times where he carried us. And truth be told, he carries us all of the time. So Enoch had fellowship, intimacy, a relationship with God. And what I love about this is that he did it for 300 years. My, my, my. He walked with God for 300 years. And no one else in all of the Bible who has ever been created has the testimony that Enoch had. Some people walked with God for 40 years. Some people walked with God 50 years. But nobody walked with God for 300 years like Enoch did. And listen to this, Strong Tower. Enoch walked with God, very unique in his generation. 
The only other person where the Bible says that this happened during this time was Noah in chapter 6, where he walked with God. So it was rare for people to walk with God, to have fellowship with God. But Enoch did. So he was a minority in the world. There weren't a lot of people like him, but he didn't let the fact that he was a minority make him feel strange for walking with God because God in one person is not a minority, but God in one person is what? A majority. And he did all of this without having a Bible. He did all of this walking with God without even knowing the revelation of Jesus Christ. He did all of this walking with God without the presence of the Holy Spirit because the text doesn't tell us he was indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He did all of this walking with God without a Bible, without the revelation of Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. He did it also without the church. So my question for myself and I share with you is, what's our excuse? Because we have a completed Bible. We know that God has sent his son, Jesus. We just remembered him today. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have community through the local church. But with all that we have, it seems like we can't walk with God. Don't talk about 300 minutes, uh, uh, years. Can we do it for 300 minutes? 300 days. How about this year? So I tell you, he didn't have all those things. But let me tell you what he did have. Let me tell you what he did have. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11. He didn't have the things we have. And to whom much is given, much is required of us. God expects more of us. He's given more to us. But here's what he had. And here's the thing that really ought to encourage us today. Enoch had faith. Pastor, I was waiting for more. No, that is it right there. That, ooh, that's it. Hebrews 11, verse 5, the great hall of faith. By faith, not by works or by sight or by reason, no, by faith, believing God, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So through oral tradition, it's not written in Genesis, but through oral tradition, the Jewish people passed down that Enoch not only walked with God, but he pleased God by the way that he walked with him. What a great testimony. Then verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And one reward, that unique reward for Enoch was God took him home. God raptured him in the Old Testament. So Enoch, who didn't have a Bible, who didn't have the revelation of Jesus, who didn't have the Holy Spirit, who didn't have the local church, what did he have? That brother had faith, and faith is what pleases God. So, Lord, help us have faith. And I ask myself this question. I'm going to leave it with you. I do not have the answer to this, I believe, as we walk with God, revelation, it comes to us as we walk, as we grow. But I ask myself this question, and maybe some of the smarter people here can help give me some help. Why does faith please God? You know, what? why does faith even please God? And, you know, I started thinking, like, like, Lord, does faith please you? 
because it means that we're trusting in you and we believe you. We're taking you at your word that you want to be believed, that you want to be trusted. And so if faith pleases you, then unbelief displeases you. So I don't know, I'm still wrestling, still chewing on that, but why does faith please God? Because I want to please him. And the way I please him is by having faith. But if I'm worrying and if I'm concerned and consumed by what I see, what I feel, what's going on in the world, as opposed to what's going on in his word and in his kingdom, then I'm not pleasing to him. Remember when Jesus would heal people? And many times they didn't have any faith, but by grace he healed them anyway. But there was this one centurion that when Jesus, he, he came up to Jesus and was like, Lord, you don't even have to come in my house. All you got to do is speak a word and my servant will be healed. The Bible says Jesus marveled at his faith. And he had not even seen that kind of faith displayed in the Israelites. But here is a Gentile with faith that says, you don't have to come in my house, just speak it. And Jesus marveled at that like, oh my goodness, I love that. That's how I want it to be in my life. So God says, okay, I'm going to send some trials to grow your faith so that you get to that place where I am marveling, Chris, at your faith and not marveling at your unbelief. After all this time, you still are struggling with believing me? Ah, help us, Lord, to grow in grace and in faith. Now, Enoch didn't always walk with God, fam. He didn't always walk with him. Yeah, he walked with him for 300 years. But there were 65 years that he did not walk with the Lord. Uh, and so I have to ask myself, what caused him to start walking with God? Because the first 65 years, look at verse 23 of Genesis 5. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. So with Methuselah, I mean, excuse me, with Enoch, there was a before and an after. Are you with me? Now, before he started walking with the Lord, he had 65 years of just an insignificant life. Not knowing God, not enjoying God, being a pagan. Let's just say it, an unbeliever. But something happened in his life, and listen to this term, that was a turning point. He had a turning point after 65 years. And what was it? Well, if I take the text literally, it says in verse 23, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. So before he had his son, he wasn't walking with God. He was walking with the world. But after he had his son, he started walking with God. So therefore, his son was the turning point in his life to get him more seriously committed and consistent with God. He had a before and after. So after his son was born, his heart changed. Now, let's don't read over that lightly because other people in this text had children and it didn't change them. But for some reason, this man, when he had the responsibility of having a boy, of having a man to raise, he then started getting more serious about his relationship with God. So he had a turning point. And a turning point is that time when you decide to get seriously committed and consistent in your walk with God. It is something that leads to an after from your before. 
It's something that turns you, that changes you. And so my question is, what was your turning point? Has something happened in your life that caused you to turn from walking by yourself and quietly walking with Satan, who's the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, Jesus said to unbelievers, you are of your father, the devil. You are under the cloak of death, walking by yourself without God, walking with the world, worshiping yourself. But there has to come a time where you have a turning point where now you're walking with God. And you're walking where he's going, and you're not asking him to follow you where you're going. You're walking with him, but he's the lead walker where you're walking with him and you're trying by his grace to walk like him, 1 John 2, 6, to walk like Christ. It has to be something that causes you to turn. Have you had your turning point yet? You see, for Enoch, it was the birth of his son. That got him. And what may get you to turn may not get me to turn. Well, that means you have a different testimony than I do. But I hope you have a testimony where you can talk about what you were before and what you are now by his grace, that he turned you. And now you're walking with him. Maybe it was getting married. Was that your turning point? Well, you stopped being a boy and you decided to become a man because God gave you a godly woman to raise your game up. You started taking God more seriously. Now, here's the deal. A turning point is that time when we decide to get seriously committed and consistent with God. But I also believe our spiritual lives consist of one or two major turning points and several minor turning points along the way, if not every day. So you ought to be able to look back at something major that happened to you to make you get seriously committed and consistent with God. Because if you're not consistent, because to walk, you got to be consistent. So if you're inconsistent in your walk with God, you may not have had your <clears throat> turning point yet. Yeah, yeah, you may have had your first turning point to get saved, but man, that walk of sanctification, it hasn't really sank in yet. So what was it for you? Man, what was it? Your conversion. For some people, that is the turning point when they got saved. And that was the turning point for Paul. When he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he got saved. He turned around. For some of us, sickness gets our attention. When we come face to face with our frailty, our limitations, and our finiteness, and we look up to God because we're sick and we need him to heal us. For some of us, the turning point was when we got arrested, sitting in the back of a police car or sitting in a jail cell. That's when things began to turn for us. Some of us, it began to turn when we got a divorce. So we got divorce papers, and all of a sudden we said, man, I haven't been serious about my walk with the Lord. I have been bluffing, and now I'm confronted with something that's saying, man, dig your heels in and get more serious about your walk with God because you'll never be able to walk with your husband or your wife until you learn how to walk with God. And so maybe it was that decree, that threat, being in the courtroom that got your attention. It was a turning point, and you said, oh, Lord, I'm ready now. I'm serious, Lord. And, and in the midst of me committing myself to you, would you spare my marriage, Lord? And I've seen him do it. Maybe you got caught sinning. Hmm. 
Maybe somebody walked in on you while you're looking at some things on the computer or doing something you shouldn't be doing, and you got caught sinning. And it led to repentance, and you got serious in your walk with God, or you got tired of sinning. Where the Holy Spirit just works on you and says, you were not created to live like this. I called you to be set apart unto me. That's what holiness is. Before we even talk about behavior, let's talk about position. Holy, you've been set apart to me. So therefore, live up to what you've attained. Live like who you are. And when we grieve the spirit and we get weighted down with burdens and the conflicts that come from disobedience, sometimes we get tired of sinning and say, Lord, I'm done with this thing. I'm done. That's the turning point. What about losing your job? Did God get your attention through unemployment? What about bankruptcy? You lost everything, and now you're turning to God. That's your turning point. And here's the beautiful thing. God will use negative circumstances that we have brought on ourselves and work it for good to get us to where he's always wanted us to be, which can then cause the person who's turned around to say, thank you for unemployment. Thank you for bankruptcy. Thank you for sickness, because had it not been for those things, I may not be aware of who you are today. Sometimes the death of a loved one gets our attention. When your mother passes, when your grandfather passes, God will use death. Death is a common denominator that brings us into the reality of, again, our limitations. And it causes us to think more eternal when someone close to us dies. Some people turn around at funerals and say, Lord, this is it. But what about embarrassment? (laughs) God can use anything to turn us around. My pastor, my mentor is my father-in-law, Dr. Alan McFarland. And he tells a story that he got saved, but he was still struggling with alcohol as far as abusing alcohol. He's smoking cigarettes and all kind of things like that. And so, and now he, he's starting to climb in church, and they allow him to teach Sunday school. And he has his cigarettes in his pocket while he's teaching the children in Sunday school. And he bends over to pick up, like, the eraser or something that fell on the ground in Sunday school, and the cigarettes pop out of his pocket. And all the kids go, ooh. Now, this is back in the 60s where, you know, And he was embarrassed. And I think Lena was in that class, his daughter, oldest daughter. And God used embarrassment to get that man to say, you know what, Lord? Mm -mm. For me, I'm not supposed to be smoking cigarettes. And that was a turning point for him. Or how about a look? A look can turn you around. And that's part of my brother's testimony. You've heard my brother share some of his testimony, how he's been delivered from heroin. How he was addicted to drugs for over 20 years of his life. And drugs beat him down to the point where he would be homeless and living in laundromats, hustling money on the streets of Baltimore. He was down. He was low. Sin brought him down. And he kept trying to get out, kept trying to get out, kept trying to get out. But like many who are hooked, the cycle just continues to persist. And you need a breakthrough in order to break out. And he had given his life to Jesus, but he hadn't been freed from this vice Until one day, he was in what we call Walbrook Junction 
in Baltimore. And as my brother would tell it, he's out, you know, trying to hustle, get a few dollars to do what he got to do. And he saw his daughter get off the bus, his oldest daughter. And he went up to her, as he's done many a times, to ask for money. But on that particular day, the way she looked at him, looked at her father, you know, scruffly dressed and haggard looking, she gave him the money, but the way she looked at my brother was the thing that turned him around that day. And he was transformed. For me, my turning point, yeah, it happened when I got saved. But man, I didn't really start walking with God. Walking, because you can get fire insurance, but how about some life assurance? See, because when you got fire insurance and you pray the prayer, Lord, save me again. If you're not walking with God, you don't know who you are in God. So now you become ripe for the enemy to toy with because you don't know who you are. The truth is not setting you free because you don't know the truth because you're not walking with the truth or in the truth. And so I got saved in 1984, but every Sunday after that, I'm praying the prayer of salvation on Sunday just to make sure. I got saved at a camp. I met the Lord for real. But on Sunday after being at the party on Saturday night, I'm in church feeling bad. Oh, Lord, please, uh, let's make sure it's real. I don't want to go to hell. And I was on that cycle, on that cycle, up and down, up and down. Works-based relationship with God. You see, I was spiritually wealthy, but I was living like a pauper because I wasn't walking with God. But that changed because God loves his children. And he wanted to get me off that cycle. And because I didn't get off that cycle voluntarily, he helped me get off that cycle. It happened in August of 1986. I'd graduated from high school in June of that year. Went to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Did not want to go there because it was called Lynchburg, Virginia. One lot of brothers there. I said, I don't want to go to Lynchburg. But my father said, Chris, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you're going to Liberty University. I'm like, what is that? I said, Dad, I, I gave him an excuse. I said, they haven't recruited me in football because up to that point my identity was football. If I could have majored in football, I would have majored in football. My identity was football. And I said, Dad, they aren't offering me a scholarship, and we don't have any money. My father said to me, a carnal Christian, I was a carnal believer. He said to me, boy, trust God. Mm -hmm. He said, trust God. I said, okay. So I walked onto the football team to earn a scholarship. I didn't know what I would major in at this Christian university. I was just going to play football because that's how I found who I was scoring touchdowns, making tackles, making the team, wearing the uniform. Oh, man, that was my identity. But God says, uh-uh, no more of that idol worship. I got to get that football out of your life. And the way he got it out of my life, it was a turning point in practice. I was a running back. I was a little lighter back then. I was a running back. And the play was I-42 on one. And, you know, you get in a huddle. They call the play, I-42 on one. I was the four-back, the tailback. I was to take the ball from the quarterback and run through the two-hole, which is up the middle. So they said, I-42 on one, break. So you break out of the huddle, get in your stance as a running back. Quarterback calls the play, hut, 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 
I get the ball. And after I get the ball, one of these big, ugly dudes hit me. And when he hit me, my body went that way, but my foot stayed caught in the ground, and my ankle broke at the bone. Broke so bad they had to screw it back together with two screws. Still got screws in my leg right now. If you touch it at certain nerve endings, I go, don't do that. I had never broken anything before in my life, but I knew it was over. And while I'm on the gurney, they take you, you know, off the field, and then they keep on practicing. Like, they don't stop practice for you. I'm hurting my leg hanging off. No, they run in the next play. They roll me off to the side. I'm like, hey! But that's when I started talking to God. I'm laying on my back. A tear streamed down my eyes. And now, Lord, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And God used that situation for he and I to start walking together. Football was out of the picture. And as I walked on crutches around that Christian campus, tripping over stuff and people laughing at me, climbing stairs, my walk with God began walking with him on crutches. And I began to learn his voice. I began to get in his word. I began to get discipled by one of the men on the campus who said to me, hey, you like this rap stuff. Why don't you start rapping about God? So I started rapping about God. And out of that, God called me to preach. I didn't want to play any more football. And then I come back to school my sophomore year. Oh, as I'm walking with him through the summer, sharing the word, preaching the gospel, my sophomore year, I declare my major biblical studies. I go into my room. I looked at their somebody else in my room whose bag is there. I look at the bag. It says Daryl Fitzgerald. I say, oh, no, not him. Why is he in my room? Then I leave out the room. He comes in the room. He sees my bag. He sees the name Chris Williamson. He says, oh, no, not him. But God had just broken him by taking basketball out of his life because he worshiped basketball. So at his conversion, Daryl started walking with God. From breaking my leg, I started walking with God. And together, we started walking with God. And and then God brought this woman into my life. And God led me into this city. And God led me with Christ Community Church. And God called me to start Strong Tower Bible Church. And here we are. And it started with breaking my leg on a football field. And like David said in Psalm 51, the bones that you have broken now rejoice. I thank you that you broke me. Because had you not broke me, I won't be here today. So have you had your turning point yet? Well, you got close to God because something happened in your life. Or are you still moonwalking? You know what a moonwalk is. It's the dance that Michael made so famous that he learned from kids on the street who would break dance and pop. He learned it from Jeffrey of Shalimar. But in 1983 on Motown 25, in front of 41 million people watching by television, and I was one, Michael sings Billie Jean and tears the house up. And in that dance, you know what he does. He does the moonwalk. Now, the moonwalk is an illusion. It gives the illusion that you're going forward walking, but all the while you're going backwards so it looks like you're going forward, but you keep sliding backwards. 
And before that dance was called the moonwalk, it was called the backslide. Oh, where you give the illusion like you're walking with God. I go to church. Uh, Y'all pray every now and then, you know. Uh, But all the while, you're just just backsliding. And you're not even fooling us. And you surely aren't fooling God. So let's start this year not backsliding, not walking alone. But, man, I'm going to commit to walk with God. Have anybody else who's going to walk with him with me? Amen. Christy, come on up here. Over lunch today, I have an assignment with your family today. You're going to sit together and you're going to talk about your turning point, about when your walk with God got serious. Whatever that turning point was, share it with your children, share it with one another. But testify, and if you're there and you don't have a turning point, maybe today is your turning point to say, I want to know Jesus. And, man, you talk about turning point. So do that, okay? Share with one another. When and how did you have your turning point? Amen.